For the next few Sundays, we'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 13 and the closing exhortations that the author of Hebrews gives to the Hebrew believers. So Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6 will be our focus this morning. Remember, this is God's word, God who is a consuming fire. Let us give heed to his word that he has given to us for our benefit. Look with me. Look with me at Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. This is God's holy word. The author of Hebrews desire has been to help these recipients that he is writing to persevere in their faith and in Jesus Christ. He has uh, done this by raising up the truth of the preeminence and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He has lifted up that, that Christ and his person and his substitutionary death on the cross is sufficient, therefore do not turn away from him. Remember the temptation for these believers was to turn back, to go back to the old covenant way of living. And he has, the author has, has laid out uh, in, in a series of, of truths, most found in the Old Testament, truths about Christ and and his death. And then last week, he brought us to the heavenly blessings. We saw uh, the series of of heavenly blessings that, that, that we have because of what Christ has done. Look back at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. We, we have uh, a series of, of blessings. Matter of fact, go back to verse 22, remember that, that the author has said that uh, as, as we draw near to God in Christ, the, the blessings that we have in Christ is that, that right now, 
Even now, at this moment, as believers, we have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And we are joined together in worship of holy God, he says, to an innumerable uh, and innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And the writer goes on in verse 25. He says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. God has spoken in finality through his son, Jesus Christ. And in a sense, he is still speaking through Jesus Christ. And the writer says, do not refuse him who is speaking. Because God has not changed. He is still the holy God that manifested himself on Mount Sinai. A time that caused the people to be fearful and to seek a mediator in Moses. God has has not changed. God is still the same. Therefore, be grateful, the writer goes on and says, uh, he says, be grateful. This, this is to be our attitude because of who God is. We're to be grateful. To be grateful, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And not only should we be grateful, he says, thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. What God has done in Christ should stir us to be grateful to offer acceptable worship to God. Worship, that is, worship to God with reverence and awe. But it just doesn't end there. We don't come and just have a glorious time of of worshiping God and, and being grateful for what he has done. There is a responsibility we have to one another and to other believers. And this is where the author takes us in our text today, immediately following verses 28 and 29 of chapter 12, the author introduces us to us to the, this truth, let brotherly love continue. Not only is there a vertical aspect to our Christianity. There's a horizontal one as well. And we can't do, we can't live as Christians without the other. So look with me at the text. We'll see the author and really this, this command given in verse, in verse number one 
really is 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 summed up in verses one through three. So look, let's look at verse number one, where the author commands us to continue in brotherly love. Verse one, he says, let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love points to having a tender affection for those of the same family, like brothers and, and sisters affectionately love one another. The writer is saying that, that there's a, a special kind of love that, it, that exists among believers that is similar to the, the love that those in a, in a family has. But it, it's a special love. It is a love that is rooted in the love of Christ. The writer gives an imperative command, let continue, let, let continue. That he assumes that brotherly love is already present in this congregation. And he is saying, let it remain, let it abide, let it continue. Let it continue. Let it continue on into the future. Never let it cease. And we know that scripture instructs us as God's people to love one another. Paul commanded in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do we conjure up this? How do we get this kind of love? Do, do, do we conjure up this type of love on our own? John, Jesus said in John 13, 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. You see how we relate to one another is rooted in what Christ and who Christ is and what he has done on the cross. This is where this love flows from. It is rooted in Christ's love for us displayed on the cross. It is this, this love is rooted in Christ. It is initiated by God. First John 4 19 says we love because he first loved us. We, we even learn of love from him. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse nine, Paul commends the, the, the Thessalonian believers. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. If we truly believe this, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It is the love of God that, that in a sense is, 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 is at work in our hearts, it is the love of God through Jesus Christ that should compel us not only to love God, but to, to love one another. 
If God has loved us, we should no less love one another. And why does the author give this command? What, why does he command them to continue in brotherly love? Well, John Calvin said this, quote, nothing flows away so easily as love. All it takes, somebody come to church and look at you wrong. All it takes is for somebody to come to church and not, you know, not give you what you're looking for. You turn to them and you poke your lip out. That, all it, that's all it takes. Just one wrong look. He says, nothing flows away so easily as love. When everyone thinks of himself more than he ought, he will allow to others less than he ought. And then many offenses happen daily, which cause separations, end quote. Ralph Martin observed this, quote, he says, too often those who profess to be brethren of Christ and of one another are gripped by the love of self and love of this world rather than by a self-denying love of Christ and love of your brother. Close quote. You see, it is the, the love of self when we think more highly of ourselves than we are, it, it is it is this type of self self uh, self uh, uh, selfful. You know what I'm trying to say. When a person is 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 thinking about themselves, this is when our love for others can be overtaken. This is why the author commands this. We must guard against this reality by denying ourselves. And how do we show brotherly love? Well, love is, is always expressed in concrete ways. It, 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 in, in ways that involve personal sacrifice. That's the that's the this is this is the nature of love, and this is how we show true biblical love. Now, author will show us that it it practices hospitality towards strangers. Love remembers those in prison and those suffering persecution for their faith. Love honors marriage. Love is is free from from the love of money. Love trusts God rather than money. First, we see that love shows hospitality to strangers. Look at verse two. The writer says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. What he's saying is don't forget to do this. Don't let it slip your mind to be hospitable to Christian strangers. 
Ray Stedman noted here, he says, quote, strangers do not come, uh, come around knocking at your door asking for an invitation to a meal. We must assume the initiative, end quote. This is what the, the, the writer is, is, is telling us. He said, don't let it, don't you forget about entertaining or uh, showing hospitality to strangers. Take the initiative. Practice being hospitable to strangers. And we know that this played an important role in the early church and in the spread of Christianity in the first century. Due to persecution, many believers fled their homes. Uh, even uh, as some travel in order to proclaim the gospel. And you remember Jesus in Luke chapter 10, when he sent the disciples out to, to declare the gospel in Luke chapter 10, verses 2 through 8, he told them, don't take any silver, any bag, any extra clothing, or sandals, or a staff. He told them to stay in homes that were open to them, eating and drinking what they give you. What is he talking about? Hospitality. Don't take anything with you because there are those who are out there that's going to care for you. The Lord himself told his disciples to depend on the hospitality of others. As believers, we must be willing to, to open our homes to our brothers and sisters who need a place to stay. That's what it means to show. This is the way we show hospitality to strangers. Strangers? Who are strangers? People who are unknown to us. People that we don't know well. This could be, we, there could be some strangers to us in church. People that we don't even know well. You don't be content. Don't be content with not knowing your brother and sister when you get a chance. Show hospitality, the author says. Don't forget to do it because this is how the Christian, this is how the community is built. This is how unity is built. This is how closeness in the body of Christ is built is by getting to know one another. In this age of Cell phones where we, where we don't even get to see one another face to face. We can be so content with just texting. And never think about or, or, or never have a real desire to be with the person that we're texting. Sometimes we need to just throw away our phone. 
I'll put them in a box somewhere. Go visit. Get to know people. And be willing to open up our home to our brothers and sisters. Particularly those who are traveling, who are away from their homes. Perhaps in difficult circumstances. Perhaps they're being persecuted for their faith. And they need some help. Don't do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. These are strangers who are believers, those who are believers. And again, at this time, at the time of this letter, traveling away from home was difficult. One writer noted, quote, in the first century, when Christians were often persecuted, traveling away from your home could invite serious risks and danger. Most roadside inns in that day were little more than brothels. End quote. So to not show hospitality to believers in those days was to force these brothers and sisters to go into places that might cause them to compromise their faith. This is the importance of show this. This is the importance of showing hospitality during this time. Romans 12 and 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Peter shows us that hospitality must be done willingly, cheerfully, and without complaint. First Peter chapter four, verse nine says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And the Apostle John warns in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, he says this, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother, another believer, in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How do you say that the love of God is in you when you refuse or close your eyes to your brother in need. When you, when you, how can you say that you love God and you refuse to care and show hospitality to your brothers and sisters? And Third John. Chapter uh, 3 John, verses 5 through 8, the Apostle John commends Gaius for his hospitality. He, he, uh, he faithfully served visiting uh, Christian teachers, even though they were strangers to him. In fact, turn there, 3 John 5 and 8. In fact, I'll start at uh, verse 3. 
the Apostle John writes, for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. God's word is in his heart and he is obeying and, and living out the truth of God. He says in verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Verse five, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Notice how he characterized his brothers, strangers as they are. And he said, these brothers, these believers, these, these strangers, these, these believers that Gaius was, was serving, that these believers that was unknown to him and uh, because of, of the service and care that he offered to them. Verse number six, who testified to your love before the church. You, uh, you uh, will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they are talking about those whom he served, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. They're preachers of the gospel, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. They're, they're, they're taking no kind of support from the Gentiles. And he's saying, guys, you do well to send them on their journey in a worthy manner. <laughs> Hospitality. Be hospitable. And the writer of Hebrews, look back at verse two, the writer of Hebrews, he gives uh, a, a reason to offer hospitality to strangers. He says, for thereby some have entertained angels, angels unawares. And the author is more likely thinking of Abraham and Lot Abraham welcomed and showed hospitality to three strangers when they passed his way in Genesis chapter 18. And two of these men were angels, and the third person seemed to be the pre-incarnate Christ. And when, these, when uh, the two angels continued on to Sodom, Lot greeted them and offered them the same hospitality in Genesis uh, chapter 19, knowing how dangerous Sodom was, uh, a lot offered hospitalities to the angels unknowingly. And, and, and the possibility of showing kindness to angels should make us all the more willing to be hospitable to strangers. And, 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 and again, showing hospitality to strangers, this, this implies to us that we're not to limit our care and concern to a certain few, like our friends and our family. That's, that's what we do. We can, we can form cliques and we show hospitality we we are when when there is a, a a concern with with those whom we have within our 
main concern, but we reach out immediately. We show concern immediately. We're thinking about all the time. And again, there could be others in the congregation that you don't know with, that you could be neglected. And this is not okay with our Lord. We'll see here in a few minutes from Matthew chapter 25. And so we should show hospitality. Our hospitality should be broad. It should be given to every believer as we get an opportunity to. When visitors come to the church, when newcomers come to the area, we should be willing to open our homes and show them the love of Jesus Christ by being hospitable to them. And the writer adds, another way to show love is to remember the prisoners. Look at verse 3. This is the second way to show brotherly love. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. This is those who, who have been in prison, those who have been ill-treated because of their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. The, the author says to them that they're to maintain fellowship with them as if they too are in, incarcerated with them, as, as if they are in jail with them. <laughs> this is how you remember them. Just like you, just like you are chained with them in jail. If you were in jail with another believer, no doubt, you'd be praying together, wouldn't you? You won't forget them. You, you, you'll be talking about God's word. You'll be talking about Christ and the promises we have in Christ. Right, it says, remember those in prison as though you, as though in prison with them. This is the nature of Christian love. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Turn to Philippians chapter, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Paul had a, an affection for the Philippian believers because of what he called partnership in the gospel. That's Philippians chapter chapter 1 verse 5. Paul says in verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, uh, every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who begun a, a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in, in my heart. For you are, and he's talking about 
this, these Philippian believers. For you all are, he says, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. These Philippian believers had maintained their fellowship with the Apostle Paul, even though he's on house arrest. And Paul called it a partnership in the gospel. It's important for us to, to grasp the idea of the importance of this because Jesus said when, when you, in a sense, serve and show hospitality to another believer, Christ sees it as if you're doing it to him. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said at the final judgment, he will say to those whom he receives to himself, the sheep on the right hand, he says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And, and he says, when asked, uh, when did we do this? Jesus replied, he said, truly I say to you, as you did it to, the, uh, to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That has a Significance to being hospitable, to serving and caring for those believers who are in prison for their faith. When we minister to those who are in prison and mistreated, we are ministering to the Lord Himself. And the author has already commended these Hebrew believers concerning this. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. The writer of Hebrews says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering after they heard the gospel, after the gospel had came home in their hearts. It said you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Verse 33, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in, uh, in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Jonathan's already commended them uh, on this. And he says, continue to remember those in prison. And he adds this back in Hebrews Chapter 12, uh, chapter 13, verse 3, he says, And those who 
are mistreated since you also are in the body. And since he's saying, remember those who are mistreated because one day you may receive the same treatment one day. And those who are mistreated since you are also in the body of Christ. This same mistreatment, and when we saw it, we saw back in Hebrews chapter 10, and it had, it, it had, and, and, and if we are mistreated for the faith, we will want others to be concerned for us as well. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want somebody to be concerned for you? If you're being mistreated, or if you have been in prison for your faith and, and, and you're there because of your service for Christ, wouldn't you want to see your brothers or hear from your brothers and sisters in Christ? Paul said uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, uh, there was a, a, a brother who who he said, refreshed and, and was not ashamed of his chains. He says in verse 16, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me and Paul says in verse 18, may the Lord grant him, uh, grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This man saw out the apostle Paul who was in prison because he was not ashamed of his chains, Paul said. And and for us today who live in the West, we we can we can make excuses. And one of the excuses that we make and say we you know some say well I can't be compassionate like that. That's for somebody else to do. So we don't even think about we don't even think about people who are in prison. Believers who are in prison. We don't even think about it. That's for somebody else to do. Ken Hughes noted this. He said, quote, none of us can excuse ourselves by rationalizing that we're not compassionate by nature, end quote. If you're a believer there, you cannot say, I cannot be compassionate. There was a brother that I knew who said he was called to the ministry of teaching, but he was not called to the ministry of mercy. That's a contradiction. Because by nature, Teaching is being merciful to someone. 
when we were saved in Christ, if you're a believer, when you were saved in Christ, you were given new life. And that new life gives you new affections. Affections that you didn't have before. New affections. New affections for God. New affections for Christ. New affections for your brothers and sisters and for your fellow man. You have new affections. Then to say that you are, you don't have the capacity to be compassionate. You probably need to check your heart. You've become like the church of Ephesus. You perhaps have left your first love. Your heart is cold. It's a contradiction. Sure, some need to work at it more than others. But the affection for other believers, the affection of love is there. It's there. Look at verse four. With honor marriage. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And this is important in our time, especially all believers are to honor marriage. You honor marriage by holding to and believing what God says about marriage. What God says about marriage. We're to, 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 to hold marriage in honor. We're, we're to not let the pagan world distort our view of marriage. Marriage is not between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Marriage is between a man and a woman. This is God's design for mankind. That man would leave his father and mother and cleave to a wife, not another man. You get some believers say, well, well, this is how we love. We show the love of Christ to others by embracing those who are in the homosexual lifestyle. We 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 show the love of Christ by by embracing them as they are. We show them the love of Christ by taking the gospel to them and telling them you're sinning against holy God and his ordained for mankind. His ordained purpose for mankind. God established marriage. In the very first book of the Bible. Marriage reflects Christ's relationship with the church. The writer goes on, he says, and let 
the marriage bed be undefiled. Don't let anything come, husband and wives. If you're if you, if you're married, don't let anything become. Don't let anything come between your intimate relationship with your spouse. And this is particularly difficult when going through persecution, when going through difficulty. It, it, it is especially hard and we could be tempted in times of difficulty to begin to move away from our spouse, the spouse that God has given us, to begin to lose interest in our spouse. And when we do this, this could lead to the temptation of giving over to sexual immorality and adultery. When somebody is having difficulties in their marriage, this is often when uh, they give themselves over the to adultery. How many people who are believers that you have known who have been married for 40, 50 years and ended up getting a divorce? We're to protect our marriage. If you're married, you're to protect it. You're to do everything you can to protect it. There was a book called, it was a, I would call it a secular book in the counseling field called, uh, talking about putting hedges around the marriage relationship. And there's some truth to that. You, you, you're to protect. You're to protect your spouse in every way. Watch your thoughts. Watch your eyes. Watch, watch where you put your hands. Watch where your feet go. Protect your marriage. If you don't deal with sin, in in your life, sin can it can it uh, that that sin will harass you. If you give yourself over to pornography over to watching images on the internet of the opposite sex. Even before you get married, if you do, those things will stay with you. They will haunt you. They will harass you. Just like Agag and the Amalekites harassed Israel. Saul disobeyed. He did not kill the Amalekites. He did not kill the king of the Amalekites. And the Amalekites came back and they haunted Israel for the rest of their time. And that's what sin does. 
when you let sin into your marriage, it, it can be with you and haunt you. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual and immoral or idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality. For God will judge the sexual and immoral and adulterous person. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. There are probably many ways that you can interpret this, but let it be undefiled. Let marriage be honored. And be content. Look at verse 5. He cautions against love of money and discontentment. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. <laughs> you'll benefit. You'll be, you'll be blessed. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10, Paul says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil, but it's the love of money that can lead to all kinds of sin. He says it is through this craving, through the crave, through the love of money, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So keep your life free from the love of money. Part of being, part of what it means to be devoted to God. Remember in chapter 12, uh, it says that we're to offer to God acceptable sacrifice a part of of worshiping god a part of being devoted to him is being content with him and his will for our lives Where, wherever god has placed us whatever sphere we in whatever our circumstances are we're to be content christ revealed his contentment with doing the father's will he revealed how much serving the father satisfied him in john chapter 4 thir uh, verse 34 jesus said my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work christ was content with his father and the will of his father A.W. Pink writes this. He said, contentment is the product of a heart resting in God. Contentment is the product of a heart resting in God. He adds this, contentment is possible only as we cultivate and maintain that attitude of accepting everything that enter, enters our lives as coming from the hand of him who is too wise to err and too loving to cause one of his children a needless tear. Contentment. 
he goes on, he says, it is only by cultivating intimacy with that one who was never discontented, talking about Christ, that we shall be delivered from the sin of complaining. He said, it is only by daily fellowship with him who ever delighted in the Father's will that we shall learn the secret of contentment. Notice that the writer ties contentment to the unwavering character of God. He says, for he said, I will never leave you. How precious is this truth? Notice that God himself makes this promise. God says, I will never leave. God himself has made this promise. And this promise by God the Father is true right now in your current situation. Right now. God said, I will never leave you. This is true right now. Because of your union with Christ, at no point will God leave you. The word leave means to unfasten, to loosen, not to uphold, to let sink. God says, I will, I will not leave you helpless. I will not abandon you. This is the motivation for contentment, being content. He goes on and says, I will, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God will always come to the rescue when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances because he's always with us. When we're facing life-threatening troubles, when we're facing temptations, God says he is with us. All, all that God is, all that he is, is with us. And he's always with us because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We're in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 19 through 20. The Holy Spirit is the helper sent by Jesus Christ. John chapter 4, verse 16. And because we know the Lord is with us, that he would not forsake us. Look at verse 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. This passage reminds us that God is not only with you, he is also your helper. He will continue to be faithful to you. Therefore, do not be afraid of what men can do to you. You may face opposition. You may face persecution. 
There are places where the possibility of evil men breaking in and killing you and your family for proclaiming the gospel, for helping other believers. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't fear what man can do to you because the Lord is your helper. Hallelujah. In the West, we can fall asleep on, on, on things like this because we live comfortable lives. But when you, when, when, when you have somebody knocking at your door or somebody in your neighborhood carrying AK-47s, when somebody in your neighborhood is gunned down, the only help you have in that moment is the holy God of heaven. That's when it becomes real. It ain't real to us in the West. When we leave here, we're going to go eat something in a restaurant and we're going to sit down and we're going to have a good time. It ain't real for us in the West. Think about our brothers and sisters in Haiti. Who every day face uncertainty. While we here are comfortable. Some of you are probably thinking about what we're going to eat when we leave here. And they're worried about will we live to see tomorrow? Is my family going to be martyred today? We'd have an orientation of our heart and mind. Like the psalmist in Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3, uh, three he said, the Lord is my light. This is, it has to be personal to us. So when times come, we can be prepared. Or when our brothers and sisters are dealing with, 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 with persecution, we can, we can come to them and we can say to them, your God, your Lord, he is light and salvation. Whom shall we fear? The psalmist said, who shall I fear? It's personal to him. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversary, my foes, it is they who, was, who stumble and fall. Though an army encamped against me. I know about an army. I served in the army. I know about when there's a whole brigade coming against you. Though an army encamped against me, he says, my heart shall not fear for the war arise against me. Yet I will be confident. He adds in Psalm 54 verse 4, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of In Psalm 56, verse 4, he says, In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, 
I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? I think he used flesh because he's talking about not just man, but animals. That's just my opinion. I won't be afraid. Because I know God and I trust in him. So as I close, the promises of God being our helper, the promise of God being with us, gives us hope that we can confidently do what he is telling us to do in verses one through five. That's why I didn't want to break this up. We can confidently obey and accomplish what God has commanded us to do in verses one through five because of what he has told us that is true about himself in verses five and six. When we know him, we can obey him and love and serve others in a way that honors Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, the the greatest privilege that we have as believers is the privilege of intimately knowing you, knowing Christ, knowing the Holy Spirit who indwells us because it is this intimate communion, this intimate communion uh, communion and fellowship that we we have with with, with the with the Trinity it, it gives us the confidence that that we need to to obey what we're commanded it, it gives us the, the the confidence to to persevere in, in the faith it, it gives us the confidence to face our enemies face to face and stand boldly for Christ. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for changing our hearts so that we know you intimately and that we don't rebel and that we're not, we we don't reject you as if you are our enemy. Thank you for changing our hearts that we can love one another from a sincere heart that we can that we can grow in our love for one another as believers in Christ and 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 that love is 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 is, is so great that you have given us that we can love those who are unknown to us when they are in our midst we thank you for that grace we thank you for that mercy that you have extended to us 
in Jesus Christ. We pray that you be with us and enable us, even today, to show hospitality, to show the love of Christ, to give words of encouragement, to build up, to strengthen for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.